what, what a day to to be alive it's it's 2021 it's the first day of the rest of our podcast it's true oh we're living in a post bean dad world mm-hmm. um we're also living in a post weird mr bean world apparently like mr bean got caught up in some stuff yesterday like no what happened to mr bean didn't rowan i think rowan atkinson like weighed in on cancel culture let's go let's see uh, let uh, me let see me, right now let me look uh, let me try and pull this up really quick. Uh, unless I mi- unless someone, unless like it was a bit in my Twitter sphere that just spun out of control. Um, nope. Miss, Mr. Bean weighs it on cancel culture. Uh, what he, he, was, he was, our, he was sort of our most, uh, our most uh, toxic, uh, physical comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I am disowning Mr. Bean. I'm disowning Johnny English. Uh, Mr. Bean says, the problem we have online is that an algorithm decides what we want to see, and it attempts to create a simplistic binary view of society. It becomes a case of either you're with us or against us, and if you're against us, you deserve to be, quote, canceled. It's important that we're exposed to a wide spectrum of opinion, but now that we have the digital equivalent of the medieval mob roaming the streets looking for someone to burn, so it is scary for anyone who's a victim of that mob, and it fills me with fear about the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, breaking 40 UK British cast and crew released their stories. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm just worried right. that one day the people who get mad at people who do something bad are going to get mad at me for doing something bad. And mm-hmm. I can't, so, ha- ha- I can't have that. It's preemptive. Well, I'm going to still, I'm going to buy all the Mr. Bean VHSs in solidarity. Yeah. You know what? I was, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta commit to something. It might yeah. as well be Mr. Bean, but yeah, it's 2021. And, do you feel different? Yeah, it's been, and speaking of committing to something, here we are yet again for a new year of the podcast game boys, you know, Lux, we're, we're here. It's, it's game boys. I, I am I am your host, co-host Griffin. Oh, God, I got bad at this. 2021 off to a rollicking, rollicking start. I'm your other co-host <laughs> who is Lux. And then obviously we have uh, with us is a, a producer, super producer, editor Haley um, on the ones and twos. And, you know, Lux, before we talk about anything, you know, gaming related, I wanted to talk about the podcast for a second because, you know, it is it is it's a new year. You know, um, there well, there's one in five covid cases in L.A. right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is at my it is at my door. Um, we are in the full apocalypse. Uh, we are in Bean World. And, um, you know. But our, our podcast keeps getting more listens. It's true. And, and, and Tomb Room keeps getting more viewers. So it seems like whenever the world gets worse, Game well, Boys I think gets it's sort better. of like you and I, you and I both, I think, have, have some issues fitting into society as it's normally organized. Um, yeah. I can't stop having anxiety. You, you sort of get scattered into various projects and spread yourself out. We have, we have issues with the way society normally works, but now in this broken time, mm-hmm. it's sort of a perfect, it's, you know, a lot of the rules have kind of gone out the window. And so we have a sort of a freedom to our, our, our personal failings don't matter as much in this context. And so mm-hmm. we're able to not, sort of thrive. Yeah. But it's not only just our our sort of our our our, per, our personalities that that work better with the fall, um, <laughs> but but also that with this very specific type of fall that's occurring, this is the year of the gamer. Yeah, last year was the start, but this year is the year where there are no more movies or television. If you turn on your TV, guys, it's just static. There's nothing left. They ran out of content. And this is the year where gaming sort of sits in its throne as the monoculture of the year 
we are here. And so this is going to be the year that not only gaming takes its throne, but this, this podcast um, and, and, and me and you, be, you know, start to develop unhealthy parasocial relationships with a lot of people. And we are well on our way in the two room discord. <laughs> um, yeah, no, totally. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think we talked a little bit on the on the end of the year episode, but like last year was like the debutante ball of gamers becoming relevant to broader cultural news. And, and now we're at the quinceanera. Yeah, that was the quinceanera. And then this year it's no, like no, now we're, no, this is the quinceanera. Oh, sorry, it was the debutante ball. And now it's, I don't know the order of balls for young women. So I just get it all mixed it's up. The, it's the wrong order. All right. Yeah. So, OK, cool. Uh, but yeah, this year's the quinceanera. And so it's like now we're, now gamers are the star of the show. And like especially because like I mean, for a ton of reasons, like one, obviously not a lot of new stuff coming out. Even new movies that are coming out are probably coming out mostly on streaming, not in theaters. Uh, most of the new TV shows are coming out are coming out from other countries that aren't the U.S., which is not like inherently a bad thing, but uh, does mean does yeah, like give me a, give me a lot of like, crazy like Iranian film, right? I mean, well, like one of the biggest Netflix shows right now is the show Sweet Home, which is produced in 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 South Korea and it's like a Korean horror thing because like they can mm-hmm. make they can make new stuff there. <laughs> Um, yes. But we can't we don't get to do that, really. Um, so there's all, there's all of that. Plus, on top of that, all those PS5 games that didn't get to come out because of covid that were that are being worked on now. PC games that were delayed. like a ton of stuff was delayed, but not because so like I guess the way to put this is like for making a movie and a TV show, you've got to get a bunch of people into one place. Right. Which you can't really safely do. Making a video game. A lot of that work can be done remotely. They just had to figure out how to do it remotely. Um, which pushed things back, but didn't like stop the process in the same way. And so this year we're going to see a ton of huge releases that are going to have. Some of them are going to, I think, have like The Last of Us 2. Like this is a cultural thing to talk about sort of juice to them. And whether they live up to that or fall short of that is going to be like a, probably a big part of the discussion throughout the year. But like those things are going to exist and it's going to become a bigger and bigger part of what everyone is talking about just because there's going to be less and less other stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more. I would I would say less of less that game and more cyberpunks and where normal people are hearing about it, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like like people who are just on Twitter are like, OK, what the fuck is cyberpunk or whatever? You know, like stories that become bigger than life, uh, bigger than the industry it's in. Yeah, I, th- um, I think that, that an Animal Crossing, there'll be more Animal Crossing. Yeah. And I think stories like The Last of Us 2 will sort of scale up into the cyberpunk zone where like. The story mm-hmm. isn't going to be any more broadly accessible, but like it'll just be there's not as much to talk about. Yeah, I, I do think the difference, though, is that like with The Last of Us 2, it still felt very contained to the video game industry. Like people knew a game came out, but they didn't they would have had to be in the industry to know anything about what well, the actual thing was, whereas cyberpunk became a story for everyone. Right. And the reason why I think. Last of Us 2 type shit will take that cyberpunk space or we'll move into that. It's just because there's less of everything else. And because like even the Last of Us 2 thing, it was mostly game insulated, but there were film critics and TV critics and like culture critics, not all of them by any means, but several and several big ones who did touch on it and did sort of like talk about like what if video games is movies now and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think because Last of Us started that in that in that space, other similar things like probably the new God of War, for instance, are going to push into that space too, but with more acceptance and like more broad sort of projection. Right. And we'll be here explaining it. 
speaking of that space, I mean, uh, I was trying to think before we recorded this, I was like, what games am I excited about this year that will that will sort of take everyone by storm? And I really couldn't think of one off the top of my head. Like the only thing that came to mind was Halo Infinite, which I which I don't think is going to be a good game and is going to like fall like a wet thud. Um, But I looked at this list and I was like, this is going to be a big year in a lot of ways. Um, and, and and I wanted to share some of that with you to live react some of the titles coming out this year because 2021 is actually pretty stacked. All right. Hit me with it. All right. First one I'm hitting you with a little game called Diablo 4 is yep. coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's looking it's looking darker. It's looking nastier. Uh, it's looking um poorly lit uh it's looking spookier um that will be interesting uh probably a game that i spend 20 to 30 hours on and that's it um but still should be a fun game or any any thoughts there yeah i'm i'm super stoked about it i'm i'm really interested in all like i love all the diablo shit i love blizzard stuff uh at least they're all like their single player stuff and i think the diablo games i always like play through once forget about for a while and then come back to like later in the year and stuff so i'm excited to sort of have that on the dock and like you said it looks darker and nastier and if there's like that's like the one thing right like with diablo mm-hmm. games all i ever want is like dark and nasty and like a totally inscrutable theology like yeah. like the, <laughs> the fucking the diablo rules because diablo is a game where angels devils uh <laughs> demons all exist but god doesn't Mm-hmm. Um, and that's crazy to me, and I love it. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy about that. That's what I'm really excited for. Um, it's not the only one. I, it's, yeah. Well, go through go through your do, list. I'll let you know if, any, do, if there are any of the. Do they just? Do they, do they just, just say God doesn't isn't there or what? I'm confused. They never, never confront never, it. It just never comes up. Hmm. Maybe that doesn't mean he's not there. It's true. It could be like a Newton clockmaker God. It's just weird to have like a super theologically grounded story and no one mentions the big G man. Yeah. Well, uh, Diablo four, please say God's still alive. God's not dead. Diablo four. Maybe be our Kevin Sorbo. Diablo four colon Christ crisis. Um, but coming up next, something, something to actually really get excited about. It's dun, 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 Elden ring. Yeah. Elden coming ring. Coming out this year. That's going to be a huge man. one. That one's going to get, that one's going to get beefy broad conversation i think um mm, i don't know i don't know i think i the think, draw, I think the George R. R. martin hook is too big for your game of thrones tv <sighs> writers not to try and do it still the game's gonna be too hard for most people yeah but that doesn't that doesn't matter that's just not, that's not what they're gonna write about right like that's not the but they people can't gonna, write about it if they can't get they through aren't, it they aren't gonna write about the playability of the game. They're going to write about the story of the George R. R. Martin version of the game. No way. No um, way. I completely disagree. I, I think you're super wrong. I mean, I've worked at a lot of these like content producing places that do this stuff. They're going to try. No, no, no. There's no. going to be articles, but is it going to reach like cultural heights of people that like, I mean, just watched the game of Thrones TV show. I, I doubt I it. Surp- I mean, obviously it's not going to reach the height of the game of Thrones show, but I think that almost every or at least a huge number of the various Game of Thrones TV writers and shit are going to write an article about Elden Ring. Um, okay, yeah, that is obvious. Well, I right. guess. Well, so that, then, oh, then now what you're saying, if that's obvious, then you're saying AV Club, Forbes, Business Insider, fucking The Ringer, fucking yeah, the normal places that will cover like video game news. But those normal places don't cover video game news as probably, especially not like Forbes or Business Insider and shit. I I see Forbes talk about okay. Well, well, I Forbes think everyone has their gamer division Forbes now. Forbes talks about talks about economics and stuff, but like 
I think Forbes you're talks about what I fucking tell them to talk about. Right. Well, sure. Which is economics and stuff. Cause, cause <laughs> look, you're, if there's one thing you're about, it's brand continuity. Um, but no, it's, I just think that like all these people, um, even like your Sean, you're like your Sean Collins is and shit are going to do this. And so it's just going to be pervasive. Like I'd be surprised if I think so, but I think that the, it won't make, I think plenty of people will write about it. I agree, but it, because the style of game is inaccessible to the mass market of like a cyberpunk or something, or even a last of us Two, that it, it simply will not be something that latches into people as much because if you can't get through level one as a new player, then it's not oh. a story you can access or care yeah, about. I don't but see. I don't, I think that they're going to have ways to either watch playthroughs or play play it with a friend or something yeah. and rather that and the people who are going to read those dreams. articles the people who are, are going to read those articles aren't going to read them because they want to play the game they're going to read them because they want to know what the new George R.R. R. Martin thing is and do you think it's going to be like super super do you think they're going to like work with him to make something that's like coherent or something that's like intangible and you have to like YouTube to understand um, I don't I think that if if you're going to bring George R.R. R. Martin onto your game you're going to like let him cook like a clear story okay I don't yeah, think it, like Sekiro started to move towards clear story. Sekiro was the first Souls game that like didn't confuse me and I like knew what was going on. So, yeah, I like I just don't know why you hire the guy who's like one thing he is famous for is being able to like propel a narrative while doing world building. Because because the way that Dark Souls games always work is that they world build from environment and from little notes. And it seems like they could just like use George R. R. Martin flavor and texture to like do a world of his, but told that way. Yeah, totally. I think you could, but I just don't think you hire George R. R. Martin to do that because what makes, makes George R. R. Mm-hmm. Martin like special as a writer is that he's really good at doing that textural world building while mm-hmm. focusing on like a specific narrative and location and like characters and stuff. So it I seems hired George R. R. Martin to do a lot of things. Right. I'm one of his uh, top tier OnlyFans subscribers. Yeah, you love to watch uh, him wear his little <laughs> news hat and eat a pizza. Yeah. Um, but guys, next up, a little game known as God of War Ragnarok. It's going to be great. It's going to be more of a one shot than the last one. Um, they, they, he, he, he's a daughter this time. It's sort of like a big uh, family sitcom this time. It's going to be great. And they've got one of my favorite uh, video game writers writing on it. Uh, Anthony Birch is working on it. Um, and he's he's written a bunch of fun indie games and shit. Uh, oh, okay. So I think that's that's really exciting. They got like a, a couple of really cool people in on it, which is going to be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if that one stays as like dad focused or like family focused, like you're talking about, um, I think that might be one that really penetrates the broader cultural sphere for sure. Um, definitely, especially cause so much of COVID talk has been like, what? It's so crazy to have family during mm-hmm. lockdown. And so then yes. when there's a game that like hits on that in a really direct way, I think that's going to like pop super huge in terms of like discourse. God, do you think that like a, like like pandemic type games are going to take off or just completely tank this year? I think that what you're going to see, and maybe this is just me projecting what I want. Um, I think that there's going to be not a lot of games like about pandemic times, but a lot of games and stories that touch on some of the themes and ideas that have emerged during pandemic times. Themes of like distrust and isolation and loneliness and like and like separateness, I think, are going to be out there and like get picked up in a different kind of way. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of games about like avoid the germs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, with God of War Ragnarok, listen, like it was quite a spectacle of a game. I actually am going to replay God of War 
on my PS5 now and see what it looks like uh, there because uh, I've never replayed the game. I remember being really wowed by like the high highs of God of War, but really felt like for a God of War game, it did miss. It felt it felt set piece light. Yeah. Uh, as a, And in comparison to other God of War games where like every zone is the craziest thing you've ever seen. Um, and I know a little bit of that has to do with just like the more advanced technology of, and systems of what their new type of game is. But again, it did feel like, I mean, the cabin fight scene that in, in the beginning of the game is one of the wildest things that I have seen in a video game. And I was like, holy shit, is this entire game going to be like this? And then it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and, and that's OK, because there was still good stuff in the middle. But it did feel like there was a little too much filler and not enough God of War set piece. Now that they've built the foundation of the game and what they know they can do, hopefully like the sequel is just no holds barred, just like giving it all to us. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see that. It's interesting because it shares kind of a, some things with stuff we talked about before, which is that like. God, like that game had a problem where it wanted to problematize all of like the God of War stuff in the old earlier God of War games. Mm-hmm. But some of that shit's really fun. And so it didn't do a great job. Of it. I mean, it's great. I think it's a great game, but it didn't balance having these huge moments the way that you're talking about with sort of mm-hmm. it's like smaller, more like local focus. And so, yeah, hopefully the second one is able to get that that emotional and idea focused down. Um, yeah. But also have like you climb up, a you climb up a huge snake and rip out its eyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, I'm just going to go real kind of rapid fire yeah, and fire you can give me just quick, quick kind of react, react to a few of these. Um, this Gotham Knights game is coming out. Uh, Batman is dead. It's made by the Arkham Studios people. You play a collection of the Bat family, Batgirl, Robin, Red Hood and Nightwing. Um, I don't know how to feel about this one. This This feels like it's like setting itself up for failure. Yeah, I don't super care about Batman stuff and it's hard for me to care about Batman's friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, it does feel like the, the Joey spinoff to friends. <laughs> yeah. Nightwing and like Azrael and stuff are like mildly interesting, but like not enough that I would play a game because they're in it. Like they'd be cool right. guys to show up during a game, but I don't want to play a game that they're leading. And, and speaking of only mildly interesting, uh, Halo Infinite is supposed to also come out this year. Now, Halo Infinite is really interesting because it's most likely going to be mediocre no matter what <laughs> happens with the game. Um, but Xbox really only has that i mean i cannot think of another exclusive coming to xbox anytime soon so it's like they're waiting it feels a lot like the vaccine they're (laughs) waiting for this thing to come that's like you know it's gonna take forever and it may not even work when it gets there their only other like truly bankable properties are the bethesda shit and uh and fable and all all Mm -hmm. that stuff is like a ways away so it's like If Halo doesn't land, then it's like, what do they what are they doing for like six months? What are they doing for like years is what I'm like saying here or like it's like and also they had years to plan this, too. Well, I think Fable 4 is is this year supposed to be. Mm, I don't think so. Um, Next up, Hogwarts Legacy, um, a game that I also probably do not give a shit about, although I do remember enjoying the computer games as a kid, like the ones based on the movies. Yeah, yeah. I have a tough thing with that. Like, I don't want to support J.K. Rowling being shitty, but also I do love playing as a teen wizard. Mm-hmm. So I'm torn about it. I guess we'll see how the reviews are and and some other stuff when it comes out. Um, every every time you play the game, just tweet at J.K. a little bit. Yeah. 
That's true. Just do a couple of, of awareness raising posts about how she's bad, and then mm-hmm. go, and then just ca- raise some awareness, and then go cast my Le- Wingardium Leviosa on a stick uh, uh, or whatever. For every for every six hours of gameplay, you have to do one accountability tweet. <laughs> Um, it's now a game that I'm actually excited for. I'm talking about a little game to, that is a sequel to another one of my favorite games ever played, Hollow Knight Silk Song. Let's go! That's very exciting. Yes. Oh my god! And that's a game where I feel like it could come out next month. We don't know. We don't even know when it's coming, but it feels like it's very near. And uh, Hollow Knight, the original. You know, I'm not normally into these Metroid-y, 2D style games, but this is sort of the heights of the genre. It, it, it really just kind of wrapped itself into my brain uh, with its sort of uh, Dark Souls-like combat and its sort of way, the way that your your mind starts to build the map in your brain and how you travel through it and become second nature. Uh, and the the art design, the animation, like everything about it yeah. is fucking awesome. And I cannot wait for the sequel. It's a fun story. It's a spooky world. It's a really good, really just good playable game. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, a sequel is going to be great. It's that's that's one of the easiest ones to sort of chalk up as like this is something that everyone's going to enjoy next year. Oh, holy shit. And speaking of which, this is like sequel fucking land because um, there's another game coming out this year called breath of the wild 2. Oh yeah baby uh pretty wild pretty wild with this one we're me and you have said before this is going to potentially be like the majora's mask to the ocarina of time that was uh, breath of the wild right that's what i hope i hope they do another weird zelda i love the weird zeldas mm-hmm. it wouldn't super shock me if they just do another big sweeping adventure zelda just because of like how much breath of the wild like took everyone's part in the pun breath away but I do think that it would be really it's a really good time for them to do a weird Zelda, I think. Here's here's what I think is about to happen is from the from sort of the 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 talks with the few talks with developers that they've gotten to talk to about this game is that it is the same uh, engine that Breath of the Wild one was made on. But they are claiming that it is a darker, more adult adventure. Well, that um, sounds great. Which seems to lean directly into sort of the more Majora's Mask tone. Um, and then like on top of that, it seems like they're just going to, it's going to be tonally slightly different, maybe play and feel similarly to breath of the wild, but there's going to be like probably a lot of new types of powers and like puzzle mechanics too. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that is shaping up to be, I mean, breath of the wild was my game of the year when it came out. So naturally I should be very excited for whatever this is any year where there's a sequel to like the game of my fucking year is. It's a fucking good year. Big doing, yeah, for um, sure. And also respect to them for just like they'll, pro- they'll probably tell us it's coming out like four weeks before they release it or something. Oh yeah, like they'll, it's gonna they'll be absolutely just awesome. They'll absolutely just do a Nintendo Direct where they show a bunch of crazy footage and they're like, "Don't you want this game? You can buy it today, and it comes out in a month, and then everyone will do it." <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, just on those, just on Hollow Knight 2, God of War 2 and fucking this, what a, what a year for sequels already. Oh Um, yeah. Not to mention new Yakuza game. Oh, I still haven't played a Yakuza game and maybe I'll do that on stream this year. Oh yeah. They're so fun. What's the best Yakuza game to start with? Uh, I think Yakuza 0 probably. Which one was that for? Uh, I think it's for PlayStation 4 or 5. Okay. So I can, I can play it on PS5. I think so. Um, 
now for a weird game. <laughs> this is a game that I did not know was coming out, but is going to be a game that I'm absolutely probably going to play. Uh, a game called Lord of the Rings Gollum. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Gollum is a stealth game that tells the story of one of the ring's most ardent admirers and tragic victims. <laughs> That's Calling him an ardent admirer is hilarious copy. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> He's just like, man, I love this ring. It's so nice. The ring's number one simp, Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the ring really is just a gamer girl at the end of the day uh, yeah. before their time. Uh, the ring, uh, the original e-girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the game will follow recognizable and important Lord of the Rings moments, but from Gollum's perspective. Now, I think this is very funny. I think that this is uh, I think this is this is definitely Gollum revisionism, but uh, for, for for the greater good. It's kind of to me, it reminds me of like the Mandalorian. Uh, in the sense that it's like, uh, well, Mandalorian was even about less because Gollum actually is a real character that talks in Lord of the Rings. But like, yeah, it's like they're just like, oh, now what if we focus on this person? Maybe it's good. Maybe it'll just be a, a shitty game. Who knows? How could it be a full game, though? It's. I mean, they're just going to add a lot of stuff. I mean, Gollum is like sneaking around a lot off screen. Yeah, yeah, but like it, that, it just uh, okay. Good I'll tell luck, you this: guys. there better be a really nasty fishing mini game where, like, you have yes. to grab fish out of the water and smash them on a rock. I want um, a finger biting mini game. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, no, like every single stealth kill is just like a like a he bites their finger off and then they just pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, but, but now something that undeniably might be sort of the animal crossing of the year. I found it Lux and I can't believe I'd forgotten about this, but that's right, folks. We've got new Pokemon snap. Oh, yep. And it looks good. Um, yes, it does. Um, I'm that's maybe my most excited Nintendo thing for for the year is Pokemon is new Pokemon Snap. Yeah, you sound excited. You I mean, excited I, 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 I sorry, I just don't, you know, I'm not going to yell. I don't you know, mm-hmm. but it is it is the Nintendo thing that I'm most excited about just because it's like that was such a unique game mm-hmm. um, in so many ways. And like the way it scored things was so interesting and the way like you related to the game was so interesting and like what it was trying to do as a game was so interesting. And so trying to see how that translates to like a new game environment, like a new culture yes. around gaming is going to be really interesting. And and I really felt like I've played sort of a genetic sort of successor of this game in Bug Snacks because like Bug Snacks has similar landscapes. It you look at the you take pictures of these Pokemon type creatures uh, and you try to catalog them and then you try to throw stuff at them to get them to do certain things. And so like it shared all of this like Pokemon Snap DNA. And I was like, damn, like this shit, this shit is still fun. And like if it could just like be done in like a modern way like this could be you know this could be game of the year the only the only only, i'm not game of the year this could be the animal crossing of the year the only thing that prevents it from doing that is like if it's not a social multiplayer element if there isn't really any kind of like social multiplayer element it's going to be hard for it to reach the animal crossing heights it would be crazy to me if there's not an in-game sort of social network pokegram situation yeah, uh, we'll see. Like, I mean, you're right. Like, who knows? I haven't heard anything about that. But it would be so wild to me if that wasn't sort of a hinge point of the game. It wasn't like sharing your cool poke photos with your friends via like the Switch network or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but moving on, uh, Overwatch 2 is coming out this year as well. Now, Overwatch is a game I've probably put it, you know, a thousand hours into or something. Yeah, like you I love that game. All, I played a lot of that original game, and it was a game that was always my in-between game. When I'd finish a game, I'd revisit Overwatch and play it for a, a little bit again. And I got really good at the game, too, but... It, and I kind of I kind of laughed when Overwatch 2 was originally announced. I was like, why are they doing this? Like, why not just like continue to be this like game as a service game and just like keep making Overwatch 1 better as opposed to like just like putting a 2 on it and it being the same game. But now in this moment, as you know, Overwatch esports is fading and, and the Overwatch game as a whole has very l- low player base, probably the lowest it's had in its whole run and it's feeling really stale in in its current state so I, i think that they actually were smarter than me they knew the game was getting stale and they saw ahead of it and i think a sequel is like the perfect time to uh refresh the franchise and sort of boost kind of some new life into it yeah i think i think that's right i think that they they sort of id'd that the base model just wasn't quite doing the work anymore in a world with Apex and Fortnite and all this other stuff and that they've needed to find sort of a new approach to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's what we're going to see. I don't know what's going to look like. And that's sort of not my ballywick of games, but I'm interested to see what like what changes that Overwatch to because um, so much of the stuff that you might change is so fundamental to what Overwatch is that it's hard to imagine like what the sequel looks like. Yeah, um, I think the. For me, I, I don't think they're going to actually go this far with it. But for me, an Overwatch 2 that people want to invest in longer would have a player hub world where you can see each other and like and like and you can see a guy that has cool gear and you can, you know, you invest in the characters in these deeper, longer ways. I, I you know, that's more MMOE, but this does still feel a little bit kind of like they're putting a two on on the same game with like some sort of updated UIs. Uh, but it, it, you know, whether it's a real change or not, it will like shoot, it will do, it will kind of boost the life of the franchise for at least another year or two. Yeah. Um, whether that's really going to be a long-term fix, we'll have to see, but I am excited to check it out. Um, but then baby, Oh, this is coming to my PlayStation five resident evil village. That's going to be good. Mm-mm. That's going to be good. That's spooky. just going to, that's just going to be good. It's just going to be good. Not yeah. much to say. I, I don't, don't have if, any takes on that. Yeah. It's going to be scary and fun. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's all I need. Um, and then, wow, another game, another big Switch release, a little game called Shin Megami Tensei 5. Uh, I wonder if this is going to make it on to, to it, your list. It made it onto mine. It made it onto mine. You know, I'm a, I'm a JRPGer now. I've played Persona 4 and 5, and uh, I feel qualified to be a fan of these things. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, Shin Megami Tensei, same series, so very much a... Uh, in your zone. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm fucking serious. I mean, I've, this, this has been my most excited game of the year for the, I think on this podcast, I said it was my most excited game for 2019 and for 2020. Um, <laughs> and it didn't come out in either of those years, but it's still the same. Like, I just like, I like, I love the persona games. I like the Shin Megami Tensei games a little bit more. I like the darker tone. I like the sort of post-apocalypticness of it. I like that. It doesn't feel as much sort of like a fun kids cartoon, the way that persona sometimes does. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit harder, uh, which I like. Um, Ooh. And so I'm really excited for that. I'm excited. Also, they're porting Nocturne, which is maybe my favorite video game that anyone's ever made. Yeah. 
my switch is dusty, but I can tell it's about to get dusted off in like the coming months. Yeah, no, it's, those it's, are, it's dusty uh, right now. You know how the switch gets dusty? Yeah. Oh yeah. This, this, this does happen. The switch will not see any action for like six weeks and then something will come out and then I just won't put it down for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think Shin Megami Tensei is going to be that. I'm, I'm just so fucking, I know almost nothing about the new one. It's just like the idea of a new thing in that world, uh, especially given that like the Shin Megami Tensei games are so about how like society is so broken and like look outside. Um, I think is going to make it extra fun and extra compelling to play with. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't look outside. The, the COVID can, will see me. Yeah. I was imagining it's like, when you, it's, I was it's like bird box. I was imagining <laughs> you mentioned it earlier that like, there'd be like a knock at your door and you'd open it. And it'd be a UPS guy. But he has like the COVID cell for a head. And he's like, gotcha. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just a bunch of ET, like FBI, like full hazmat suit guys just start bursting through the windows. Yeah. yeah. It is crazy, man. It is not just not to like derail us, but Every day gets really, really wild in this city. Yeah. Uh, all night long, there's like ambulances and they can't even people are just dying in the street. They can't even pick them up anymore. Yeah, I saw that today and it was just like, you guys, California has a there are countries that have no more covid that have less <laughs> money than California does. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, Gavin Newsom was was just too busy getting like, you know, duck foie gras with like 30 <laughs> people in like an indoor chandelier house. Um, <laughs> chandelier house is a funny way to describe a rich people building, but I think it's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, there was at least two chandeliers in the photo. You, to me, that's that's one too many. Yeah. It's a chandelier house. No, chandelier. The maximum number of chandeliers you can have is one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's psycho shit to have more than one chandelier. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Abolish jails, but chandelier house, you go to jail. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff coming up. There, there's there's like a lot of um also indies that were announced for PS5 and just in general that are kind of like eh, maybe one of these is gonna be incredible. Like there seems to be like a lot of those where it's like, eh, eh maybe. Well, and there's like there's- a lot of Positive maybes. Yeah, there's also, you know, there's Psychonauts 2 is coming this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be huge. So the Disco Elysium Final Cut is coming out. Wait, what does that mean? Oh, uh, it's an extended Disco Elysium thing. Oh, I can. I'm going to play that on stream. Um, Hell yeah. Uh, there's the new Dungeons and Dragons game, Dark Alliance, or like that remake. There's a new Warhammer. Uh, there's a couple new Warhammer games. Yeah. There's and, like, and, 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 and there's so much. Let's look at the list of upcoming movies this year and compare it to how many like hits are happening right now in games. Yeah. And, and, and keep in mind that that's all the movies that were scheduled for this year and next year. Right. Like it's because mm-hmm. all the movies I was talking about for this year, like Dune, Green Knight, stuff like that, all got moved into 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. And so like next year is it's it's interesting that games are going to be a bigger thing than movies, even though it's like a double stack of movies next year. And also this year. games have games have like movies have always uh, like certain movies have always needed the theater experience to sort of lull audiences into its sensibilities. Like the Christopher Nolan <laughs> yes, movies. Are the perfect. We're just talking about Christopher Nolan. <laughs> The Christopher Nolan, but yeah, but it's not just a Christopher Nolan. There's like other movies too. Like horror movies are certainly scarier in the movie theater. Um, and and there is like sort of things, uh, Christopher Nolan obviously being the biggest example, but now they're sort of playing on enemy turf by going into like living rooms and stuff and having to compete with distractions, poor lighting, you know, uh, uh, not the same kind of audio quality. Like all this stuff is sort of, but video games have always had to live in that space. Like they yeah. were born in this darkness and movies are trying to adopt it uh and yeah so game gamer gaming and just the way that we consume gaming 
remains the same and continues actually to get more important. But it seems like when people watch movies and TV shows now in this sort of streamer environment, the movies are sort of appearing thinner and 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 maybe even being received critically worse than I think they would have in it, not in the pandemic. Do you do you notice that yeah, at all? Yeah, there's actually there's some interesting stuff um, where uh, because movies aren't as immersive because they're not in a dark room that's huge with big speakers and, and people around you, that a lot of the criticism has been a little bit harsher and has a little, been a lot more attentive to things like technique and like writing and the specifics of direction because yes the things that happen that make you pay attention are now the standout parts of the movie in a way like the basically in theaters movies don't want you to notice those tricks they're doing to make you pay attention to them because that takes you out of the movie now that you're in your house you super notice them because you're like why am i paying attention to this and not my phone oh because they're doing these things well um so it has kind of changed the perspective on critique which is interesting um but it also i think you're right has made it like how the fuck are you going to watch Tenet at your house and give a shit about that movie? Um, mm-hmm. Ketamine. Yeah, sure. Um, aside, aside from the universal solution to all problems. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that like, um, yeah, it, everything is just primed for this to be the year of the gamer. But uh, Lux, I wanted to hear more about not not the future, but our, our current present for this second half of the episode. Sure. Uh, you know, I want to talk just with you, with you about a few different games. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about was I, I spent the beginning of my year, uh, the first three days of 2021 playing the most toxic thing that I've ever experienced in gaming. And I needed to get, get it off my chest. I of course am talking about the game rust. I want to give you some context for how toxic this is. Uh, I just want you to understand something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you started a rust server and we'll get into the details of all of this later. But you started a rust server and you were like, I'm doing a Chum rust server called Chum world. And you messaged me and some of our friends. I saw this and I thought, Oh, this is a great time for me to get my friends who play Rust together and just be absolute terrorists and like let them set up their world and then just hassle them in stupid ways. Um, and so I that's started. That's what you wanted. I, I thought, yeah, that popped into my head. And I was like, okay, here's what that's what we'll do. And so I waited a couple days and then checked in with my friend Brian, who, who joined the Discord. We looked at the Rust chat and we were like, oh no, like mm-hmm. we're not, we are absolutely not getting involved. Like this yeah. is this is too much because like we had this fun idea where we're like oh they're gonna make this fun like Chum city and everyone's gonna be like hanging out and like going on like little Chum missions and we'll build like a rival town to hassle them or maybe like sneak in while they're all asleep and build walls that like fuck up their commerce and like mm-hmm. lay lay tricky traps and like really mess with their shit in like a fun goofy like Looney Tunes kind of whimsy way and as soon yes. as I saw the Rust chat I was like. We could we could do it in the kindest, funniest, most clearly nice way and still just get berated for it. And so what I chose is to only watch from afar. Yes. So listen, for those of you who don't know what Rust is, uh, Rust is a game uh, about survival. You are all on an island that you share and you build forts and you either work with each other or against each other to kill, steal, and gain more items and cooler stuff. Um, The game is designed for you to build a fort so that people can't get in it. So the mechanic is people try to get into your fort. Um, It is a PvP game at its heart. And I want to say one thing at the top here. Yes, 
I was an asshole during some of the the days. <laughs> yes, I was, but only because I was so flabbergasted at the response from people on these servers. I mean, I think that the game is inherently toxic and in that it pits people against each other in a ways that other games uh, feel, uh, I don't know, like there's less of a, that, that it's not as brutal. Yeah. Um, but people have reacted more emotionally to me about this game and more toxically to me about this game than anything I've ever done. It is. Uh, people are so upset at me that I tried to kill them. Like they were upset about me as if I like, betrayed them and like stole their wife like or something like people were like felt personally attacked and i was so confused that i thought a lot of these people were trolling like doing a bit like because surely no one could be this upset at me about a video game that i paid to host a server for and did not invent the mechanics or rules of. Uh, but yet everyone was so mad it's, at me. I mean, someone quit my Discord over it. Um, so uh, 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 someone who was on this podcast two weeks ago. Um, it has been more dramatic than anything I've experienced in gaming. Well, I will tell you a few things. About it. Uh, I think with, so my friend, my, like the PW, some of my PWR Austin friends have a Rust server and it's very different than the Tomb Rust server. But the, okay. the reason it's very different is twofold. One is it's a server with like 10 people on it who all agreed to be on it together and agreed to like a set of rules and goals for what they're all doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's very chill and very like laid back. And like everyone's like our goal is to build this weird city with these weird buildings in it. And that's just what we're working towards together. And we have like AI monsters all around that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of, kind of like made it into a PVE server instead of a PVP server, um, which you can do. But that's not what the Tomb World server is. And so then – What's happening is this really funny, like almost like Thomas Hobbesy, like life is nasty, brutish and short. Like there's no organizing principles or like or like social frameworks people operate in. Like it started out as like a blank slate in that respect. And it's like been slowly developing those things. But that development process has just been so many people getting so angry about everything (laughs) and me waking up with like 97 unread messages in the Rust chat server. There, there's like, I mean, there's like real life friends who are like mad at me over this game, like 12 hours into it. I just never had experienced anything before. And, you know, there there is something really cool about Rust. It is an experience unlike any other because, you know, in a lot of multiplayer games, it feels very temporary, whatever you're doing with people in the game. But um, in Rust, you all really share a space, a real digital world on this island. Um, and then you can walk up to people and have these spatial conversations in game essentially if you're far away on a hill and you shout to me i can hear you and i can hear you faintly over the hill and then as we get closer to each other i can hear you up close and it really is immersive in a way with that like normal voice chat it just isn't yeah um and so 
it, it really does feel like you are living this like second life. And I think the reason why I wanted to do this on New Year's Eve and then New Year's Day and started the server was, you know, I didn't want to go into 2021. I wanted yeah. to go somewhere else. I wanted sure. to go to this rust island. And then it turned out to be worse than 2021. Well, so the problem, <laughs> the fundamental problem with rust, like I'm saying, is that it, it, like I said, is that there are no rules, which is why it's so fun. And then mm. another thing about it is that part of the way it rewards you as a player is that you build like you have to to craft X number of things to build the right device. It allows you to craft the next wave of things. It lets you craft the next device. Let you cra- lets you craft the next wave of things. And you kind of like develop technologically over time. Um, and so you could have a goal that's like, I want to learn how to make cool mounted guns and a house full of traps. But if people keep raiding you and stealing your resources, that takes fucking forever. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's like a weird stake to like it. There's this weird thing where like, I mean, like the low stakes were just like when I tried to build dick shaped towers in Fortnite and people kept killing me and I got annoyed by it. Like this mm-hmm. is just that right. Like everyone wants to do their thing. But every time that they someone does the mechanic of the game, which is to kill you and steal your stuff, they're set way back on their goal. And that feels like a personal impediment to like what their objective was. And it's yes. hard for Rust to sort of like reckon that out in a way that doesn't make someone feel shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, which is tough because totally. there is there is like a ton of fun stuff like it is really cool that you can be like I'm going to dedicate this game to like mastering metal <laughs> to like mm-hmm. getting really good at making things out of metal like houses weapons cars all of it I'll be a metal expert and that's like how you can play the game and I think that's sweet as far as game design goes but it obviously uh-huh. means that if someone kills you and steals all your metal then like what are you going to do <laughs> I mean I mean but there is this thing where it's like if you're not having fun with the game you don't have to play it. Yep. And, 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 and so funny. It's like, I got a message from someone saying that's like, I had to stay up until 3 a.m. defending my fort. And my response to you is, no, you did not. <laughs> and, and, and so it's like, if you're not enjoying the game, then you don't have to play it at the end of the day. And it's like, yes, I'm sure for all the people listening to this who play on the server. Yeah. I was rude to some people about it, but I literally thought that we were all doing a bit. And then when it didn't turn out to be a bit, I was still rude and I own (laughs) up to that. Okay. Um, but, but, but it was, it was quite a baffling experience. I am going to keep the server up and running because, you know, there are a lot of tumors that are actually still really enjoying it. And they're, they're, they're starting to have a more positive experience because what's actually naturally happened on the server is that there are the group of my audience playing on the server who are all noobs and then there are three meta sweaty players that found the server and work together and kill all them so like all of the noobs have sort of worked together and band together now in friendship against these three evil players on the island and people are united against them in a beautiful way see that that's why rust rules is that that kind of stuff can happen and yeah, it is interesting, these narratives just form and it is interesting social experiment wise because like i was saying there's all this discussion about like how social norms and and sort of behaviors form in spaces that are unregulated and how like communities, like individuals butting heads against each other for long enough eventually forms a community with rules. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. to see how that plays out in rust and in, in the, in the, the Truman rust server specifically um, to just sort of see like what, like what happens, whose, whose rules get followed, whose rules don't, what the server Mm -hmm. ends up looking like. And I think that's like a really interesting, like social experiment and don't be wrong. I completely regret it. If I had a time machine, I would have never started the server. But it's up now, baby. And I opened Pandora's box yeah, and there's no seal in it. Can't close that door. Can't close that door. Um, but there, there is something else that I, I, you know, 
I'm about to finish Cyberpunk Lux. I know we've talked a lot about this game. I mean, but how can you not? But how can we not? I mean, I'm, I'm here at the end. Um, I've made some some difficult choices on how I want to sort of solve the final mission. And I'm here. Uh, and I got to say that despite all of its flaws, I mean, it, it is fucking a really solid game. And it's stuck with me for a long time. And I think the main reason why I keep saying that is that I really, really enjoyed a lot of the side quests that I discovered in the game. The characters in this game stick with me more than characters in most open world games that I've encountered. I mean, when I think of the characters in this game, like I think about like, you know, like Judy and Jackie and Johnny Silverhand and like all these all these side characters like Delamain and like all these weird little robots you meet, all these different people that had like all these different um perspectives and goals and just moments and none of it was exceptionally hard or, or made me th really uh, think too much about how to solve the mission but i just got to experience these characters and i just really fucking loved it and i i, I don't know i know you think it's fucking boring I, but well, I've, so i've changed I just, my tune I on would, it I, a little bit um mm -hmm. so i've i haven't played it as much lately um mm -hmm. Uh, because, uh, I learned how to transfer my old JRPG saves to my current PlayStation. So I'm going back and finishing all the games that I was meaning to finish. Um, and we can maybe do an episode about the huge number of JRPGs that I've been playing the past couple weeks later. Um, but so I've been playing it as much, but I think before I tuned out and started playing the JRPGs, I was actually getting more into like, I do think you're right. I, I'm still lukewarm on the main quest stuff. I think the main quest stuff is a little bit heavy handed and a little bit obvious in a lot of spots and mm -hmm. sometimes can be very kind of like draggy to like, like for instance, when you meet, um, what's her name? Uh, the, the woman in the, when you go meet the, the, the voodoo guys, Evelyn, no, when you meet oh, when you, oh, the voodoo boys, when you meet mm -hmm. Cal or Cal Cunningham or whatever, the like lady who's inside the machine. Yes. Um, alt. Oh yeah. Alt Cunningham. When you meet her, that whole sequence is like pretty boring. It's like, mm -hmm. it's not as cool or bizarre as they want it to be. And like, it's just very long. A lot of like people talking to each other and like cyberpunk slang doesn't matter. And that doesn't really work for me as well. But a lot of the side quests are really good. And a lot of the side quest mm -hmm. chains are really good because you get, they do a good job of being like, so this is, this is like a meta note of like stories generally. It's sort of dumb and video games do this a lot, but so do books and movies where there's a side character who doesn't have a connection to the rest of the world except for to be a side character. Right. There's just like a guy whose job mm -hmm. it is to tell you that he needs you to help capture his dragon or whatever. Sure. Um, and Cyberpunk's a really good job of the side characters exist within a world. Like when you meet Panam, for instance, you also meet all the nomads. When you talk to Judy, you mm -hmm. meet all the people at the doll of the cloud. Uh, yes. When you talk to any of the fixers, you meet all the people who work with those fixers. Everyone's exists in a world in a space, which makes all those side quests feel really fleshed out and feel really emotionally compelling. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think yeah. that of everything in the game, I don't like the gigs. I'm lukewarm on the main story. The glitches have driven me insane. But the side quest design, the side quest writing, I think is some of the best in like any video game that I've played. The side quest is where the game is. Yeah, I think so. And what's and and I agree with you. The main quest is is the most I'd say like edge lordy, cringe, basic, like not not that interesting. But like all these different side quests were just so meaningful and just struck me. I mean, uh, I went on this side quest about. Um, 
Johnny wanting to sort of like reconnect with old people in his life and like and like how it doesn't go right. And it like really hit me hard. And like there I went on a date with this woman and we went scuba diving down to her old neighborhood that's now underwater and like swam through her like, you know, like family's things and and, and like got to know her. There was a there was a one where these two politicians needed my help and I found a secret room in their apartment where they were being spied on yeah. and that their brains were literally being hacked into by a corporation in order to control them. Um, there was all these different things that talked about like, oh, the ways that you know, technology will continue the same cycles of like corruption and greed and power. Um, and I would also say that, you know, while this game in a large sense is hypocritical because the company that made it has not taken care of its workers in the right ways and is a corporation just like the ones it claims to critique, that's not true of the hundreds of people that wrote and worked for this game. And there are critiques of corporate culture and capitalism in the game that are good and that are meaningful. And I do think that while if you look at the context of the company that released this game, yes, it's hypocritical, but there are like hundreds of people that just worked for this game that also got abused by this company that do have poignant and interesting views on capitalism and corporate culture that are in this game. Um, and it's hard to like divorce. It's like you, I, for me, I can separate the two ideas. Yeah. Um, and there's, and it's hard for I, me to say that people would walk away from this game with a positive view of corporations. I think on a blockbuster level of like this type of game, it is, giving players a feeling that this is not a fair world, that this world is unfair and bleak and dark and not one that you would want to live in. Yeah. Um, my issue with that so far, and I haven't finished it, so I, you, mm -hmm. you could, I could be wrong with this. My issue with that so far is that like you figure that out within 10 minutes of the game starting. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Like it doesn't feel like it's making uh like taking a position that requires, you know, 40 hours or whatever to, to, to get to. Um, and so it feels like a little bit of a waste in that respect, but I mean, I'm not it because the issue for me is never like the hypocrisy of it, right? Like obviously any company that makes anything is, is complicit in, in capital as a function, but what was an issue was the issue to me is that it was never, it never felt like profound or dig deepy. Like it basically felt like cover art, like, like everything about mm -hmm. that argument you could see in like the cover art of the game, you basically, um, yeah. And so to me, that felt insufficient or like not enough for me to like get excited about. But maybe as, as I go on, there there will be more more depth to that. There really is with some of these side quests. So you really do feel for like these characters in, in all sorts of different ways. And there's a lot of goofy ones, too. I mean, I played a I played a side quest where um, I found out that on the Internet, all these people are worshiping this sort of like. Q type poster, but it's a poster that's like anti-capitalist and talking about breaking down the system. I just did that. One. Uh, oh yeah. yeah and you like fun. follow all these different things uh around the world, uh these little like boxes that keep leaving you hints and notes, and you eventually find out that like this like uh this like boardwalk 
uh, like gypsy attraction, like tell your future. That's like an anti-capitalist, like kind of like gypsy for, for fortune teller character. It's just like a sign that like is like a it's like a little digital AI. And someone like hacked into her and put her on the Internet. And now people like worship her. Uh, and that was just like a fun little story about like the way that we uh, like interact with ideas and like the way that like even people on the internet now like have connections to like these weird Twitter accounts that like who knows if they're really people or not. <laughs> and, and so like there is a lot of stuff to think about um, in, in these stories and and the Johnny Silverhand stories in particular uh, do really feel meaningful. Um, and yeah, I just despite all the bad stuff about the game, how driving just feels like you're driving on like black ice the whole time. And like how like the main characters like voice actor is just this cringy and edgelord Reddit guy voice. Um, or just like the way that like the, 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 the skill point level up system is convoluted and like you only get halfway through it and never get any of the end powers of anything. Like uh, everything, it feels off. Um, and, uh, the biggest problem, though, aside from all those little issues, is that the game is in the side quests, but the side quests are impossible to find. Yeah. Like you look at the map and you cannot just dif dif differentiate between what is an important side quest of content and what is one of these repeatable or just like really boring gig type activities because there's all these different types of exclamation points and it's just like if they had just made it simple and 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 and, and if if CD Projekt Red is listening do a patch that fixes the map just show what are actual side quests and what is the bullshit content and let us differentiate between the two yeah, the map sucks. Um, the map makes the Witcher map, which is already a fucking train wreck, look like a goddamn Atlas of the United States. It's unbelievable how much the map sucks in this game. I'm I was talking to Rory yesterday, um, and I think I kind of agree with him in in this sense, which is that they they CD Projekt Red's already talking about putting out cut content in DLC and DLCing story add-ons and all kinds of extra stuff. It almost makes sense to I'm probably still going to poke at the game, but I don't know if I'm going to like fully commit to playing it again until that starts happening, because it's like it sounds like what they're saying is in in four to six months, you'll get the whole game mm -hmm. like as it was supposed to happen, mm -hmm. um, at least to some degree. And I kind of want to see what that's like. And I don't want yeah. to I don't want to do the thing where I play through the whole game. The DLC with all the new stuff comes out and then I'm like, well, I've already played it. So I don't want to like look at it again. Right. So I'm trying to like leave some runway. So that when it gets fixed, I can jump back in and then report back on like how the fixes go, because I am curious about like there there is. And I, I've said this every time I talk about it. There's a really good game buried in in this game. Like there's a lot of good shit in here. There's a lot of bad shit. There's a lot of inscrutable shit. There's a lot of, glitchy, there's a lot of all kinds of shit. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if give them an extra six months to sort of on less crunch DL, like crank out some DLCs and, and some patches. If the game that we get after all that is going to be the sort of like game of the year, wowie zowie new model for RPGs thing that we were pitched that this was going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think I think that would be cool. And I definitely will replay the game because there are big choices you make that clearly like railroads you down only specific types of content after a certain point. And I'm like, oh, I really would like to see what like these other branches look like. So I will be like playing like a female version of the of the game next sure. so I can uh, romance different types of people because not everyone will become your girlfriend. Uh, but um, yeah, like uh, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of fucked up stuff about the game. Uh, I I will be excited to see uh, what it looks like then. But I am like at the end of the game right now, and it is convinced i am dying to see what these last like four hours are like uh so i think there is something impressive there and i think the, on a if i step back from everything that i just kind of rambled about it does like to a certain extent if your video game is a little scuffed but it has characters that resonate with me it's going to be leagues above most open world rpgs i mean if i compare this to like ghost of tsushima i mean it ghost of tsushima is a fucking joke compared to this like, there's no characters in ghost of tsushima that are like i relate to care about or frankly even remember the names of compared to all like i can remember like 15 or 20 characters names from cyberpunk i can never do that in an open world RPG ever. It's such a huge accomplishment. So they have crafted something here um, and, and it will be, it will be fully realized one day. Yeah, and I think it speaks out integral. It is because like you, the, it goes to Tsushima. I think the side quests and gig stuff, like the side quests play like the gigs in cyberpunk, except they're like more fun and more fun. I think in Tsushima than they're in cyberpunk, but the side quests, like you said, characterize things so well that it makes you want to do those. And that is, and that's both good and bad for the game in a way, because it makes me just hate any, any gig mission or anything. Um, because I'm like, why am I even doing this? Like, yeah. there's so much I'm more interested in with these other characters. Why am I like hunting down cyber psychos or whatever? Like that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but it does show like a real attention to where they want you to care about stuff, making you care about stuff. And I think that one thing that uh, video games need to learn. That is the big lesson here that I think you're getting at is that like, if I care about shit, the sequence of events to enact the thing I care about is a thousand times more exciting. Yes. Um, because like, I really want the outcome to happen. I mean, this is happening right now in Trails of Cold Steel four, uh, the JRPG I'm currently playing where I'm at like a really dramatic point in the game. And it's really difficult for me, even though I'm fucking dying of work to put down the controller and do anything because I'm like, I have to know what happens. Like I've played, you know, I'm like, what, 350 hours with these characters now, um, yeah. which is obviously more than cyberpunk. But it's like I've spent a lot of time with these characters. I like, give a shit about them. I've done quests with them. I like know their backgrounds, whatever. So like it's hard to stop playing. And cyberpunk does get me there pretty efficiently and pretty quickly in a really impressive way with some of these quests. And then other times fall super flat. So I'm just excited to see like what the fully finished developed version of the game looks like. And I think that'll be a cool. Totally. Yeah. I mean, um, listen, uh, 2021 was always the year that Cyberpunk needed to come out. So it will come out this year at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and yeah, I just um, I don't know. It, it it feels like as I am at the end of this game right now that like I it, it, do, it does feel too short. It feels because the side stuff is so good that I I just feel like I want more and more of it. And I think about it and I'm like, wow, I probably missed five to 10 short, cool things because this map is so fucked up. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a lot to think about here. I really, I mean, if you think, if you think this was the game that I was the most right and wrong about with my prediction system, because I predicted that it just wasn't going to be fun, but I was right that it wasn't fun in the technical sense, but I was wrong in in this in this sort of the spiritual fun sense and I, I have had so much fun with the game um so yeah what a complicated process and it's also the, the complicated process that i went through with the last of us too in that like i you know I, I i ended up hating so many things about how the game came out 
and then ended up loving the game still. See, what I think the reason why this game sings for me a little more than Last of Us 2 did is that is the is the character stuff that we were just talking about. The characters are better in Cyberpunk. And it it makes me give a shit about their story a lot more than I give a shit about the story in Last of Us 2. The Last of Us Mm -hmm. 2 is kind of trying to do like an Avengers-y thing where it sets like stakes, where like asserts stakes and tells you what they are. And then you like... It is getting pretty like Marvel soy at times. Yeah. And and just like sort of being like, this is what matters. You care about this. I'm telling you, you care about this. Characters are talking to each other about how much you care about this all the time. Um, Whereas Cyberpunk really lets you organically come to care about stuff. And that I think mm-hmm. that makes a lot of it makes it easier for me to talk. Like, I think they both intellectually kind of fall short in similar ways, but I find and in, in cyberpunk's more tolerable, if only because I give a lot of more of a shit about the time I spend there because I spend it with characters about whom I give a shit. Right. Totally. Totally. Well, folks, uh, it's 2021. It's going to be a big year of games. And I don't, I don't got much more else to say than that. I, I'm, I'm excited to keep doing this podcast. I'm excited to be here with you and Haley Lux. Yeah. And, uh, and just the future. Uh, it's going to be a big year for us. We're, we're going to this is this is the year where we become uh, incredibly popular and then also just bad people. Yeah, this is the I'm year excited. where we uh, we learn how to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug real quick before we get out of here? Nah. You can find Haley online at Eat Every Sound uh, on YouTube and Instagram and uh, on the Memory Static podcast as well. Peace out, y'all. The 2021. Stay safe. Stay gaming.